As you may or may not have been told or realised or seen on the screens today, has been a big week in the life of St Aldate's, particularly for our Aldate's kids. Aldate's kids, give me a wave. Yes, lots of us in the room this morning, that's lovely. Um, as you got to see in the epic video just now, uh, we've just finished our holiday club for this year, where together we, we dug up the mystery of the Exodus and explored the story of Moses together. Yes, that's who that funny-looking man was in the videos. And Moses came to visit us in real life to share his story with us. Um, and in, in the prep running up to this week, and even throughout the week itself, I just kept finding that the book of Exodus never fails to amaze me. It's a powerful roller coaster of a journey, exploring massive, massive themes of slavery and freedom, trust and patience, provision, and probably most prevalent is the theme of God revealing himself to us as our rescuer, as our hero. Now, during one of the teaching times at Holiday Club, I opened with this question, what, who, sorry, who is your favorite hero? Uh, Maybe you can already think of someone, comes straight to mind. And in this moment, I very honestly shared that I thought Spider-Man is by far uh, the coolest of all the superheroes. He's kind of the underdog, bit nerdy, bit lame, but his powers are really cool. And then we opened it up to the floor and got our kids to shout out their answers and share their answers. And I was very much anticipating a similar kind of tone and vibe. Um, But I kid you not, these were the answers. My favorite hero is Jesus. My favorite hero is God. My favorite is the Holy Spirit. And best of all, my favorite hero is the Holy Trinity. And I thought... (laughs) In that moment, well, you guys clearly don't need me. I really don't need to be here because you're far holier than I'll ever be. Um, But on a more serious note, I promise you now that there is so much we can learn from our young people. I've been really humbled about that this week. Our young people at this church have the most beautiful, authentic, and simple face, and it's just inspiring. So it only felt befitting to make sure that the adults don't miss out on a journey through Exodus 2, though I'm sure some of your little ones have been teaching you all that we've been learning this week as well. But ours will be a little bit more of a whistle-stop tour through Exodus this morning and sadly will not involve a visit from the actual Moses um, or or gunging members of the staff team, as fun as that would be, but maybe we can arrange it for another day. Exodus is obviously a a hefty book, and we could spend a whole year going through it together. But today, I'd love us to turn to Exodus 3, um, verse 7. I'm going to read from there. And this is a passage that very much summarizes the whole heart of the book of Exodus. And it says this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. 
But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So here we have God's call on Moses' life. This is the moment where God meets Moses in the burning bush and he gives him this call to go and set the Israelites free. And there are a whole bunch of things we can learn from this passage and the whole book of Exodus as a whole. Um, But there are three things that I want us to look at that we we can hold on to as solid truths from this book, from this passage. And that is these three things. God sees and hears. God comes and rescues and God accompanies and provides. The story of Moses might feel a bit ancient and outdated and a bit irrelevant for life post-Jesus' death and resurrection, but this book carries one of the great themes of the Bible. It's our history. It's God's story. It's the start of his centuries-long pursuit of hearing the cries of his people, seeing their suffering, going out of his way to rescue them, and then providing them a new life to live all because God loves his children. It's uh, it's a story of a foreshadowing of a greater rescuer that God will provide later down the line. It's a powerful demonstration of the lengths God will go to to rescue a people who are pretty rubbish at loving him well in return. And he starts by showing us that he sees and hears. Everyone say, he sees and he hears. Great, you're with me, wonderful. Before Moses was born, God's people are called the Israelites. They had been led into the land of Egypt by Joseph, the one who had all of the dreams. And the Israelites were welcome in Egypt. They were looked after there. They lived a nice life there. But then the king died, and a new pharaoh came into reign, and he didn't like the Israelites. And instead, he wanted to keep the Israelites in Egypt as his slaves. Um, And so through the time of Moses being born, growing up as a child and an adolescent, God's people were more and more oppressed. And eventually Moses had to flee to a different land because he'd done something pretty naughty. That's a story for a different day. God heard the cry of his people and appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And he asked Moses to be the one to help set the Israelites free because God saw their persecution and he heard their cries for help. And those prayers didn't fall on deaf ears. In this passage, God tells Moses, I have seen the misery, I have heard the crying, and I'm concerned about their suffering. He was moved and motivated because he's a watchful father, never distant and full of compassion. God sees and God hears. And then the passage continues, so I have come down to rescue them. God sees and hears, but God also, let's do this, comes and he rescues. God comes and he rescues. Lovely. It will stick with you, I promise. Actions make a world of difference. God comes to be with his people through Moses. So he grants power to Moses in the staff that he's using to perform great signs, to warn Pharaoh, to let his people go. These are also known as the plagues. You've probably heard of them before. And then he uses this same staff and the same man Moses to part the Red Sea so that God's people can go free because Pharaoh had changed his mind once again about letting them go and he chased after them so that he could enslave them again and they were worried they'd be captured and just in the nick of time, God's power comes and parts the Red Sea so that they can go free. 
God was with Moses, performing the signs, protecting his people from the spirit of death, and ultimately leading them to safety and freedom, revealing himself as their rescuer. The passage says, I will be with you. God doesn't just rescue, he comes down and he rescues. He's there with us. He's not a puppeteer God getting everyone to do his dirty work for him. He's a God that comes close to his people and goes to every length to rescue them from slavery. And even after he's done the rescuing, he doesn't stop there. Because if God makes a way for us out of something, he then provides a way into something else or somewhere else and makes sure to be the one to guide us. Because God is with me, God accompanies and provides. God accompanies and provides. Good job, you're still there. (laughs) After God led his people through the Red Sea and out of slavery, he takes them on this journey through the wilderness, providing different places for them to set up camp together. And then guess what happens next? It doesn't take very long at all for God's people to get grumpy and moaning and complain and even go as far to say we wish we were back in Egypt as slaves because we had a better life there. Absolutely outrageous. Um, And God doesn't turn his back on them in that moment. No, once again, God saw and he heard and he came and he rescued And this time he provides. They asked him for water, so he gave them water from the rock. And they cried out for food, so he rained down manna every morning and gave them meat every night so that they would be well fed. And he didn't just give them some at the start of the week that they had to stock up and hope it didn't go stale by Saturday. He gave them fresh provision every single day. And if that wasn't enough, he then provided them with a helpful set of rules and guides on how to live in a way that honors God and one's neighbor. These are also known as the Ten Commandments. And then if that wasn't enough, God accompanies them on their journey through the desert in search of this land he says he's promised them, the one flowing with milk and honey. He accompanied them as a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, which is really cool, and guiding them along the way. Imagine being on a pilgrimage and following a pillar of fire, a pillar of smoke around. That would just be epic. We can pray for these things, guys. And it was amazing because God doesn't leave us or forsake us. He's a loving father who draws near and provides for his children. God promised to get them out of slavery and into the promised land, and he did, and that's great. But at this point, you might be thinking, how is this relevant to us? We're not the the Israelites. And anyway, didn't it go wrong for them like multiple times after this point anyway? This wasn't really the end of the story, was it? And you'd be absolutely right in thinking that. Because God's people kept getting it wrong. And God had to keep hearing and keep rescuing and keep providing over and over again. But it wasn't working. And it got to the point where it looked like there was no hope for us. But that is the moment where everything changed. Because God gave us, Jesus, to do all of these things and be all of these things for us. Jesus was God's promise to us. He gave us Jesus to get us out of the slavery of sin, of all the messy things that we do wrong, um, slavery of uh, being, being pulled by the world and worldly things. And 
uses Jesus to get us into the promised land of the new heaven and the new earth that will come when Jesus returns. Jesus provided himself to us as our rescuer when he willingly went to the cross to die for us. And then Jesus offers us the provision of his daily bread, his daily sustenance, food for the journey, and his Holy Spirit to be the one who accompanies us along the way. So I would love us all to take a moment where we close our eyes and have a moment to think. And I would love you to let God bring to mind what it is you're going through at the moment. How is life for you right now? Is there anything that you are crying out for? Is there anything you are asking God to provide for you, anything that you need? Or is there anything that you need rescuing from? And as you have your eyes closed and you're thinking about these things, and I share these truths with you, I'd love you to just declare them in your hearts and your head. Jesus sees and hears me. Jesus comes and rescues me. Jesus accompanies and provides for me. And you can open your eyes if you want to, or you can keep them close. I won't be offended if you've fallen asleep. <laughs> so Jesus comes, sees and hears you, comes and rescues you. He accompanies and provides you. Why? Because he loves you. That's it. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He did, God did all of that for his people thousands of years ago because he was concerned for them. He loved them. And when it wasn't working, he sent us Jesus because he loves us. And he wanted there to be a way where we could be forgiven and live with him forever. He loves you. God's not afraid of what we face. He's not even really fussed about the power battle either. He already knows he's the most powerful being of all beings. When the Egyptians were building the pyramids and the temples, I imagine God was a bit like, meh, that don't impress me much. Um, and when they were attempting to perform the same plagues as God was afflicting on Egypt, he was probably a bit like, am I bothered? Um, their supposed power didn't put God off. But when God's people cried out and said, cried out to God, God said, do you know what does bother me though? That you're using my people as slaves and inflicting pain and suffering on them. Our God is gracious and compassionate. God has seen, God has heard, God was not impressed. And so God came to the rescue. And it's foolish of us not to accept that rescue. Because that's the other risk that we run sometimes, is that we try to be the hero ourselves and do all of these. We try to hear our own cries for help and be the only ones that rescue us and do all the providing ourselves. And it's foolish, especially when God is offering freedom, forgiveness, and forever with him. Because deep down, we all carry that desire to be seen and known and loved and heard and looked after. I remember really clearly a time at primary school where I was, I was struggling with being bullied um, by some kids in my class and it kept getting worse and I almost wanted to pretend that it wasn't a problem or that somehow I was indestructible or that I didn't need help. 
And then one day, as my dad and I pulled up into the car park to school, I just didn't open the door. I didn't move. I just sat there and said, I don't want to go in today. And that was enough for my dad to see that something was wrong and enough for him to hear my cry for help before I'd even really said what was going wrong. And then when he did find out what was going wrong, he was not impressed. And so then my parents came to the rescue and helped me sort out the whole situation. And as young as seven years old, as I sat and cried in my dad's car, I realized that all I ever really wanted was to be to, to know that I was seen and heard and helped and provided for. And whether we're seven or we're 17 or we're 70 or beyond that or younger than that, we all still need to know this truth and be able to hold on to it in every season of life. There's an invitation off the back of this story to come and trust God more, allowing yourself to be more dependent on him. And there's also a challenge from this story for us to learn to be people who need to cry out to God more or to ask him to come and rescue us from things or to ask for his provision and accompaniment in the things that we need from him. And in the meantime, we can just put more of our trust into a God who sees and hears, sees and hears, who comes and rescues and who accompanies and provides because he loves you.